and welcome to the Hammer and Shoelip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and Mr. Gareth Dix. Welcome, Gareth. How are you doing, mate? Hey, good. How's things? Yeah, doing okay. Doing okay. Enjoying the weather and um, oh, really nice, isn't it? looking it's forward sunny. to... It is sunny, mate. Yeah, we need a bit of that. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this evening's podcast. Uh, so looking forward to talking about issues surrounding the gospel so tonight's session or tonight for us uh, but this session is going to be on the question of does your church preach the true biblical gospel Uh, so this might sound like quite a strong way to phrase that and, and it is actually quite a strong way to phrase the topic but i think it's one worth asking i think it's a question that's very pertinent today and uh, we're going to be walking through some of the things that that we see anecdotally and then also uh, some things perhaps that we can learn from history uh, also about the church and the way that things might have changed over the centuries in our in the way that we look at the gospel uh, so i'm looking forward to this session uh, gareth uh, i don't know if you have any thoughts about this subject and uh what you'd have to say about that it does sound like quite a, kind of quite a strong way of asking the question but i think it's an important question to ask i think it is i mean the, the question i i ask people quite a bit nowadays is if someone walked in off the street and came to your church would they know how to get saved yeah yeah. Like if someone, if someone, and let's just say someone came along for a few weeks. So, I mean, you know, they might have popped in one week and it was Vision Sunday or, you know, you know, Giving Sunday, whatever it might be. There might be one special Sunday that they're having to focus on one particular thing. Okay, fine. But if that person came to that church for three or four weeks, let's just say, mm. would they know how to get saved? Yeah. Would yeah. they know what, what the, the gospel is and, and how a person is a Christian? Or would they be fobbed off, off with the usual, ah, oh, well, we're running an alpha course midweek at some point, you know, and, and why don't you come along? And, and if you, you need to be there for week three, really, to find out. Yeah. You know, well, in- I was just like, so that's been, it's been, you know, moved to a midweek Wednesday and you have to make sure you get the right one if you're actually going to hear the gospel. That's what, that's what I'm not okay with. Well, in what you've said there, I think there is kind of like, there's hidden um, a little kind of presupposition that many of us have as Christians, which is this, that the gospel is for unbelievers. So that's, yeah. the, that's the first presupposition that we think in church, I think by and large across denominations is the gospel is something that's for unbelievers. Um, and then the second thing that we probably believe, I think Paul Wash has touched on this before, is that everyone in church is definitely a Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, <laughs> Two really dangerous things to actually think uh, because let's deal with the second point. How do we know for sure that everyone who sat in your church, um, how do you know for sure that your family members, your friends are definitely saved? Um, because we know, don't we, anecdotally, that one can really do a good job of looking every bit the Christian. We read that in Hebrews 6, don't we? The things, oh yeah. my gosh, that that, that that so-called Christian in Hebrews 6 is actually partaking of and looking like. You'd think, well, that person for all the world is a Christian. But no, says the writer of Hebrews, and says, listen, we, we, we think better of you, things belonging to salvation. So wh- yeah. whoever that person is at the start of Hebrews, they did not belong to salvation, but by Jove, did they look like they were. And so first thing to say is that there's no way we could possibly just assume that everybody sat in a church on a Sunday morning or afternoon. 
is a Christian. And then the other thing is the gospel is our inheritance. It's not yeah. just for non-Christians. The gospel is the inheritance of the church. It is the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel is something that I believe we have to nourish ourselves with on a daily basis. I don't, oh, I don't know about you, but this is how the Puritans saw it, you know, and this is how many divines throughout the, the, the generations have seen it, is that, you know, I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. <laughs> oh, 100%. I think this is the thing which I I, I, I think is, is actually evidence of a person's salvation, that you, you, you kind of meditate and think about how much you don't deserve to be forgiven. Yeah. So every now and then, and it's something where it can be a combination of, you know, just I'm, I'm feeling melancholic or the, the, the devil perhaps is accusing me or I remember something I said or did and I, I'm, I'm rightly racked with, no, you know, the sort of shame of knowing that was wrong, but, but not rightly um, feeling guilt because actually that has been forgiven and paid for. Yeah. So I have to actually say, no, I shouldn't be feeling guilt about this because that's covered by the blood. So this is, this is, a, this is the, the devil accusing me and that guilt is, is completely wrong because I'm... I, I'm no longer under condemnation. So this isn't, you know, if, if you forget everything that we've said this evening, just remember this, this is not some intellectual thing that no. you sort of bounce around in your head. This is, this is real personal, real life gritty stuff. This is when I'm just in, you know, in my house, in my kitchen, and suddenly I just, suddenly just remember what a complete piece of work I am. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then, and then, I, and then I, I look at Christ and I think what he's done for me personally yeah, and how much on. I really don't deserve it at all, and 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 just melt with just you know, just tears in my eyes, thinking Christ died for me, even you know despite me, and despite the fact I don't I don't deserve yeah. it, so that I can have a, an eternal relationship with the God who created everything. And if that doesn't blow your mind, then you kind of need to keep going back to the gospel until it does. And that's the whole point. If, if I, you know, I've been ordained for a number of years, I've been a Christian a number of years, I can't get past the beauty of what Christ has done for me on the cross. No, absolutely. So the gospel, the gospel is not just for week three on a Christianity course, whatever it might be <laughs> midweek when everyone's busy doing other things. It's actually for you right now, today, this moment, to reflect on on the beauty of the cross and what Christ has done for you. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and I think it is it is a very experiential thing. It's it's a very fulfilling thing to be in the presence of God and be reminded of those truths. You know, like how gracious God is to me and how little you know I deserve that grace is something that that every day you know amazes me and. Um, yeah, especially in those moments as you're progressing as a Christian and you're going through sanctification, which is wonderful, but equally one of the most painful pilgrimages. It is the most, yeah, you know, because, doubt. Uh, you know, you're consistently awakened to the holiness of God and your own sinfulness on a daily basis. And then you've got the devil attacking you and you know condemning you you've got the flesh you're warring with the flesh you know you're 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 experiencing some of the thoughts of romans 7 you know and you know then you're remembering romans 8 and so all of this is happening and the gospel comes in and says you're forgiven you know and the gospel yeah. comes in and says jesus paid for that sin jesus paid for that dreadful day you just had and he has put you in right standing before your father in heaven you're reminded of the gospel and it, it's that 
administration of the gospel personally that I feel is one of the greatest strengths to a Christian in the walk of in the walk of sanctification and so Definitely. many Christians just don't take it up they don't use the gospel um, they believe that you know oh it's something that was preached to me when I was 16 I believed it I prayed a prayer and that was that and now I'm moving on to the weightier things um, of Christianity and so I think it's a great travesty that we don't we don't see the gospel as being for Christians so yeah I think that's the first thing to say really isn't it Gareth it's just like this is a really important conversation to be having it isn't just a kind of you know base sort of theological conversation this is a very practical conversation to be having as yeah, well yeah completely um, and I think we do need to kind of do a bit of work as well just to kind of talk you know we will get to some of what we're seeing in the in the church in terms of you know is the church the modern church let's say by and large really preaching the gospel i think in order to get there we have to just do a bit of work to define what we mean by the, the gospel um and we we have done this before on this podcast so if you're listening in for the first time please do go and check out some of the earlier episodes um we do talk about this but it's fair to say that the gospel isn't something that we can make decisions about, right? The, the yeah. gospel's not something that each church can kind of make a decision about and go, well, this is the kind of gospel we preach here, right? Because no. <laughs> Romans 1, verse 1, says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God. And that's in the genitive case in the Greek, which means essentially the gospel belongs to God. It's his property. And so we're not given license to change his gospel. It belongs to him. And he, as its owner, he is the one who sets out and lays down the meaning of the gospel. He lays down the the sort of core tenets the doctrines of the gospel for us to preach and woe betide any of us who decide that we yeah. can come in and change those doctrines and make it into something that god never intended for it to be so that's the first thing i would say about it is, is we've got to remember this is god's gospel we're dealing with something holy we're dealing yeah. with something yeah divine and we better be careful with how we handle the truth of god in the gospel so that's the first thing i'd say Gareth. i don't know if you've got any comments on that yeah and i think the the truth is the the question has got to be let's just look at what the gospel is yeah and, mm -hmm. and i think this is the i always take people to uh, romans 5 and firstly for verse 6 which says for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly it wasn't when you'd had a chance to sort yourself out you know <laughs> yeah. it wasn't it wasn't after you just were happy that you got to a point where you know I've pulled my socks up enough now and, and I think I'm okay to start going to church this is how we think yeah we think in a very humanist way which is you know I need to feel respectable before I can go to church this, I mean it's just a big mistake that all of us make I need to have got myself into a place where I feel a bit better no when you are weak when you're still weak at your worst and then in verse verse 8 but God shows his love for us in that whilst we were still sinners Christ died for us mm. and 
that is the heart of it all whilst we were sinners whilst we we were rebels and turned against god christ died for us in order we, that we could be forgiven and i think that should never be lost sight of and i think as well one of the problems and i think as we as we go on and, and look at a few things i think there is a a kind of a self-righteousness sounds harsh but it actually is the right definition because self-righteous is when you declare yourself righteous yeah it's just simply says i'm all right i mean and you you meet so many people who are self-righteous and it's kind of thrown around like a cuss word like oh you're self-righteous oh i'm so offended you called me that yeah well actually if you say i'm a good person i'm all right i'm or you might even if you say i'm a good christian that's pretty self-righteous and i think if we just can kind of have an amnesty on on actually using it as a cuss word and just say am i being self-righteous in the way that i see my my christianity yeah because the reality is there's only righteous or unrighteous in the bible yeah and i think there's there's there can be a tendency where and i speak to people and it happens across the board where people may think really really bad of themselves yeah um, and I find more people, the more people you talk to actually tend to actually think very bad of themselves. But what they try to do is they try mm. to put on, on a mask to look better because they don't want to be looked down on by people in church. Yeah. And I, I think this is one of the things I see, as, particularly as a minister, I see this an awful lot. There are a lot of people who deep down, they feel they're really down on themselves. And, and they feel, actually, I'm a really bad Christian. They, and they see all the problems. And yeah, there may be some sins and things they're struggling with. or But they haven't grasped, yes, but I am adopted and forgiven yeah. and redeemed. Yes. And they, and they don't have the joy of their salvation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Christians who go to church don't have the joy of their salvation. They look at everybody else. And I guess they assume that perhaps because that person has some kind of volunteer uh, ministry in the church or they're well respected and it's all the kind of social pecking order, or whatever, they think, well, you know, I, and they start, we start comparing ourselves with other people. And I think you know, that the, the gospel brings us right down to that the ground is level at the cross. Yes. Yeah. And I think the gospel makes us look at God, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. and away from ourselves and in that there's so much joy and in that there is real help for those of us who are struggling internally with the way we conceive of ourselves you know and um i think that's one of the key issues really is that you know people have put this way better than i ever could but i think um we could say you know the gospel is jesus christ the gospel is yeah. Jesus Christ. John Piper says the gospel is God. You know, God is the gospel. He goes one step further. But the point being is that firstly, in the person, and the work of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel being played out and writ large. You know, yeah. well, we could try and boil it down to a verse here or there, but really the gospel is is Christ. And the gospel, because it's Christ, is God. <laughs> and so... Yeah. Um, you know, it's God's gospel, but equally that gospel is a gospel that makes us look to him first and not to ourselves. You know, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith so firstly what have we got we've got god he is the author of the gospel he is the owner of the gospel and we're to look to him first who is this god who is the author of this thing called gospel 
Um, yep. And so that's the first consideration of any gospel message is God. So wherever we hear the gospel preached, we should be hearing something about God first, right? Not about yeah, so you you're right. first. You're, you come you do figure in there for sure because the gospel deals between god and man but if we're not hearing about god we're not hearing the gospel because no. the gospel is about god and it's very specifically about jesus christ and so that's something that's definitely worth saying and i think as you've already read out the gospel deals in this thing called righteousness and yeah. that's a common thread run right through the new testament and obviously weaves back into the Old Testament is this idea of righteousness, that God is holy, uh, that he yeah. is altogether righteous, and that there's a problem with us in that we are not those things, uh, that we are born in enmity to God, in rebellion to God, that, w that Paul says in Romans 1, um, that you know we literally give up the truth for a lie we suppress yeah. the truth we don't yeah. we don't want to know the truth about god when we're living in sin um so you no. know it deals in righteousness and so any true gospel has to begin with god and it has to deal with this question of righteousness and i think that for me those are definitely things that I do see a lack of, or I do see yeah. not enough attention paid to in the modern church is that the gospel very often doesn't actually give us a fulsome view of God. Um, and so we're not really left knowing what it is we're supposed to respond to or how we're supposed to respond because God hasn't been fully explained, right? No. Um, and this idea of why righteousness is even an issue we'd you know so i think on one hand people do generally feel i think a lot of people do feel bad about themselves and the way they measure up but because they're not confronted with god and the gospel they're confronted with a kind of self-esteem gospel very often which causes them to kind of think good about themselves it's probably a bit of a simplistic way to put it but you know almost to look back within and try and see something better um they're not confronted with the truths about god and about and, and not have this issue of righteousness dealt with that it doesn't actually scratch the itch if that makes sense like it's yeah, not yeah. going to fix the problem because they haven't been caused to look at god they're still looking within right so i think those are the first things to say for me would just be that the gospel primarily comes to us from God. It's about God first and his relationship to us. And the big deal in the gospel is righteousness. It's yeah. right standing with God. And in particular, the dealing with human sinfulness because God is holy. So that's the first thing i would say and to me you can't preach a gospel unless you're preaching those things um no so yeah <laughs> simple as that <laughs> yeah um there's a lot more to it you know i mean i think it's uh yeah here we go um james montgomery boyce in his book whatever happened to the gospel of grace 
he said this we live in a therapeutic age now so evangelicals have recast their theology in psychiatric terms and sin has become dysfunctional behavior salvation is self-esteem or wholeness jesus is more of an example of right living than our savior from sin and god's wrath and so i think that's kind of helpful in understanding yeah. what's happening and equally i think it's uh david wells in his book no place for truth he goes back a bit further and says where those kinds of mindsets have come from and he says this there's been a shift from god in corporate worship there's been a shift from god as the central of focus of faith to the self and so that has come as a result of the world you know the world's focus has been on self and uh yeah. particularly since modernism like there's a big focus on self and uh so that's come into the church and now there's this kind of like navel gazing spirit where you know we we are less concerned about things like sin and about god's holiness we're not we don't like to be spoken to about uncomfortable things you know like yeah like sin or god's judgment or his wrath um because those don't make us feel good about ourselves uh, but those are the things that the bible speaks of <laughs> in connection yeah. to the gospel and um what we've ended up with is this kind of weird hybrid of gospel plus kind of psychology you could say a pop psychology of you know god just wants you to be happy um god you know god just loves you so much he just wants to he wants you to fulfill your purpose all of your potential you know so just come forward right now and just say yes to that if you want to you want to live for god and you want to see him just just grow you beyond what you could ever imagine just come forward right now well who's not going to say yes to that oh yeah but that's not the gospel right god no. loves you so much he's just got such an amazing plan for your life you know just come forward if you want to just say yes to that you know again that's not the gospel um those are things that are maybe connected to the gospel but that is not the gospel uh, how do we know that well because it's not what the apostles preached it's not what the apostles preached and so that that for me is a big issue i remember reading david pawson um david pawson wrote a book called a little book called the the god and the gospel of righteousness and in it he took issue with that kind of a therapeutic gospel and he sort of said look you know in the last kind of hundred years it's become commonplace for somebody to think they're preaching the gospel when they say god loves you yeah god loves you and he has just got the most amazing plan for your life and to think that they were actually preaching the gospel there and what Pawson contended with was he said look you know I, I just want to say that actually yes love is in the bible yes God is love but but actually it's not how the apostles preached in in the book of acts there isn't a single mention in an apostolic preaching of God's love not one mention not a single time do you find in the book of acts 
someone standing up and preaching God's love. And yet <laughs> they were preaching the gospel, were they not? Yeah, completely. And I, I mean, it's, it's funny how, like, you you might go into a church and you'd hear you hear things which sound good, like yeah. they kind of sound good and they make you feel good. And uh, things like off the top of my head, it'd be something like, you know, you got someone at the front saying that, you know, Papa God is like kind of, you know, he he's like a proud father watching his child competing yeah. in sports day at school or something, you know. And it's all very sort of like it's emotive language. It's kind of, you, you know, you 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 think if you've got a good relationship with your earthly father, you you kind of start to think of think of you know in that warm kind of fuzzy way. Yeah. But that isn't actually how it really is. No. This is this is actually the, what God has done to redeem you, and actually the, the the call to to turn away from sin and be serious about following Christ. Yeah, and the spiritual warfare that that's going on. And I think when we hear true gospel preaching, and and someone really preaching preaching the gospel, it. It really blows your mind. I'll give you an example of this. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you want to try and search on YouTube, if you want to hear something that I think this is a gospel presentation, uh, one of my favorites is when Vody Borkham preaches from the gospel from the story of Joseph. And, and he talks about how Joseph, when he's in the, the prime minister of Egypt, this is the, the man who his brothers had wanted to, uh, to, to have him killed and they'd sold him into slavery and thrown him down a well and pulled him out and sold him into slavery. And they treated him so dreadfully and they hated him uh, and they even stole his, uh, you know, his, his, his beautiful coat. And, and yet when they, when they come all needy because they, they need food, and basically Joseph holds all the cards. Joseph recognizes them and he actually forgives them and goes ahead of them in order to save them mm. and, and says, do not be angry f with yourselves because I came here to save you. And he goes on to talk about how this is a picture of the gospel, how Christ is is so badly treated by his own people and, and how he goes and is and suffers and dies on the cross um, in order to save us. And it's just this gospel presentation where he shows the gospel and all these kind of deeper uh, little clues and types and you're sitting there you're thinking you know and he's got tears streaming down his, his cheeks and you're listening to this thinking this is mind-blowing stuff this is this is deep yeah and really what we want is deep we want show us in the bible show us christ in the bible show us the gospel in the bible yeah please spare us from all this kind of froth <laughs> and what most churches are doing you can tell you know the, the sad thing is the average person can't tell this because unless you have something to compare it to you kind of get used to the emotional froth that's coming yeah. from the front and and you don't really have the discernment to say yeah but this is just rhetorical waffle that there's no depth in this there's no conviction yeah in this message so when you listen to someone who's actually teaching the bible and explaining gospel truths out of the bible and teaching the bible and showing you god's great plan of salvation and this is one of the things where i think you can really spot the difference where there are some people who they'll go to the bible like it's a self-help book and they'll say 
you know, here's a Bible verse to help me through my week. And I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that. From time to time, God will speak to us through a verse or a psalm or whatever it might be. Yeah. The problem is if you live your life like that and you constantly go to the Bible trying to find a verse or something that's just going to help you through your week. Yeah. What you've ended up doing without realizing it is you've kind of turned the Bible into a self-help manual. That's it. But what the, the way we should be reading it is actually seeing God's great plan of salvation and what God, the lengths God is willing to go to to redeem his people and to forgive them and to bring them back to him and and to recognize and little me is part of that plan of salvation absolutely and just step back into the theater of god's glory and and power and think that's amazing and and i'm just one of one of many who's in that i think that is to me the difference between going to a church that just kind of teaches kind of frothy feel-good stuff to actually a church with a pastor who knows the bible who who knows his doctrine who knows how to preach who knows how to actually teach the bible and and what he's giving you is is legit gospel preaching yeah amen brother you know i think again you know we're saying god is love right this the, the gospel is of god's love there's no question of that um but i think what we're saying is is that the gospel itself is not god loves you right that's no. not the gospel that's a true that's a true thing right but even then we need to we need to string that truth together with other truths to get the gospel and it has to be zoomed out first to not talk about the way that god relates to us in love but to talk about god in himself this god who does exist as being sovereign right he's a sovereign god he is a holy god he's a righteous god and he's made us for himself you know he's made all mankind yeah. for himself and he's working out a plan of salvation for his people and so we've got to start with god is what we're saying and i think so much of what passes for gospel preaching today it is sort of it jumps that step and it doesn't want to talk about god it wants to jump straight to how god deals with us because the concern for most churches is what the concern is out in the world that's probably an unfair thing to say actually the concern for many modern churches or these types of kind of gospel light churches the concern is you it's it's yourself it's your breakthrough it's your happiness in life and we have this kind of pragmatic approach to christianity where we think that giving the people what they want you know is going to actually grow them as christians or they, they yeah. don't want to hear about difficult doctrines they don't need to hear about the doctrine of justification by faith alone they don't want to hear about the sovereignty of god it will just confuse them just tell them that papa god loves them so much and just wants them to have a wonderful life right and unfortunately that kind of pragmatic thinking has actually led not to churches growing but churches shrinking um, yeah completely yeah <laughs> it's had the opposite effect to what we thought it would have and um you know instead of this idea that oh if we just give the people what they want they'll come to church the opposite's been proved every church that's decided to sell out on the gospel and to start changing the gospel to make it more palatable to the punters has ended up sliding off a cliff edge you only need to look at some well-known denominations in this country and their memberships now and the the trouble they're in having to sell buildings just to keep afloat um, yep. that all came not from problems with politics but from 
essentially selling out on the gospel um, and not preaching the true gospel of the Bible. I think what we've ended up with really is this this kind of in many churches is this kind of like what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. I don't know who coined, That's right. coined that term, Gareth, or whether it's just one of those zeitgeist phrases, but it, you know essentially that's what we've ended up with is, is that we go to church to have to be told how to be a moral person we might hear a sermon on you know how to be a more passionate believer uh, we might hear a sermon on how to get healed up right um and that you know god is there as a kind of genie if we rub him yep. the right way he can make all those things happen and so church has become really about those things is how i can live a fully actualized life how i can just be the most healed up version of myself um so that god can get the glory and you know isn't it great that he's here to do all that for me um but we're not really understanding this great gospel of god which deals in righteousness um primarily and firstly not healing uh, but righteousness um which in there in that word there is so much caught up under it, it the idea of righteousness talks it about holiness it talks about an, an objective holiness that belongs to god and it it tells us also that we're in want of that that we don't have that that we are falling short that we're sinful and so the gospel deals with sin and so unless we're hearing a fulsome preaching on the absolute holiness and righteousness of God and the absolute sinfulness and rebellion of each person in that building prior to coming to Christ, you're not hearing a gospel. No. You're not, the thing you're not hearing a gospel that can save. The thing with moralistic therapeutic deism, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I may be wrong on this. I know Matt Chandler uh, wrote a book called The Explicit Gospel a few years back. I highly recommend it. And moralistic therapeutic deism, whether he coined the phrase or just used it, I'm not, I really don't know. But it really sums up something. Yeah. He begins the book by saying that, you know, every now and then at the baptism services, you'd have some radical cons, uh, you know, conversions testimony he said but pretty much all the other testimonies were the same it was basically people saying i came to church but i never really heard the gospel or understood it and then i kind of went went astray when i was in my you know university or whatever and then i kind of got saved and now what's really interesting about that for me personally was when i was in my curacy i was brand new to the, the job and i'd been asked you know there's these teenage girls they want to get confirmed in the church would you and this other lady from the church uh, help to you know do these confirmation classes with these these three girls and and get, you know because one of them gets wants to get confirmed about ties and, and all three of them want to get confirmed so i thought it'd be a obviously quite a good idea to at the very foot in the first session to ask them so what do you believe you know what do you believe about your salvation and why do you want to be confirmed and i wanted to ask each their, their sort of testimony one girl kind of i'd say she pretty much had the gospel understood it there were two that didn't and one particular girl i never forget she said well i believe in god and i do good things and and i feel good about doing good things and i get to heaven and I thought, you know what, that is such a succinct description of moralistic therapeutic deism. And as far as I'm concerned, that, that girl could very well have just been just pretty much summing up very articulately what she'd basically been brought up hearing in church. Right. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of humanism with a, with a you know, 
deism twist really isn't it it's just kind of yeah you know i i come to church i try to be live a good life and then i get to heaven because i believe in god and i've come to church regularly and i've tried to be a good person it is complete as we say it's complete self-righteousness and this is something that that matt chander really deals with in his book i think it's something to flag up because moralistic therapeutic deism has been the staple for many churches over the years and not you know not any particular denomination either i think you can go cross yeah. denomination and no one denomination gets to take you know the blame on this so many different denominations have been guilty of sitting people in the in the pews and not actually clearly preaching the gospel no no yeah i think um the the issue as you say is that the focus in modern times has been turned inwards it's been turned back towards man and and away from god and that's something that's been the world's prerogative and i think evangelicalism or protestantism as a whole has lost touch with its heritage entirely in this country and i don't think that's an overstatement if i'm honest no not absolutely i don't think it's an overstatement completely The, the, the evangelical if you can call it that or the Protestant church, the non-Catholic church in this nation is so out of touch with its origin in the Reformation and is almost ashamed of that heritage because because I think the Reformers, if you could say anything about them, right, they were God-focused. They were first concerned about the revelation of god they were very concerned about the gospel as well right this was the big the big issue for them of the day was the gospel it was justification by faith alone it was these truths of scripture and now in this day and age that is not our primary concern we're not concerned with how are we justified before a holy god let's be honest about this in most churches that's not the concern the concern would be something along the lines of you know how how do i get breakthrough right yeah how do i get (laughs) exactly how do i get into that blessed life that i see on instagram every morning the victorious life victorious life how do i become more like that preacher on the platform that i so desperately want to be even though i don't understand anything about them and their life at all um how do i you know get married to the right boy or girl right those are the questions and those are the issues that most evangelical churches with are dealing today um issues of of, of healing maybe um issues of um influence in society how do we you know become more of a kind of prominent church in our city you know how can we get our kind of local mp to just really respect us and show up and get pictures with us and you know how do we have more influence how do we grow the congregation like you know is there something we could do like a magic trick to get more bums on seats um oh it is you know those are the great concerns of the modern evangelical church they're simply not concerned with justification and so therefore they're not not concerned with the gospel or they think they are but they've actually changed the gospel into a gospel like you say of moralism you know how do we just be just super good people or you know a therapeutic which comes from the word healing in greek right how do we just get healed up 
right? This is how we get healed up. And, and you know, God's going to do that. But, you know, isn't it wonderful that we're going to be so healed up and well? And, you know, and, and so that becomes the gospel uh, for these churches. It becomes all they know about the gospel is, like, you know, for example, I used to go out on the streets um, every week, and I still do. I still go out on the streets every week. But when I'd begun going out on the streets, my gospel was God wants to heal you. God wants to yeah. heal you. And I hadn't thought this through. I, I just, it was what I knew. And so I would go out and I would pray for anything that moved. Yeah. And, and if I saw somebody in a wheelchair or on crutches, it was like a red rag to a bull. I would go speak to them. I didn't care how awkward it would be. I'd try and be very kind and and and, and gentle with, with these people because obviously we're struggling. But I would pray for them and the aim would be to get that testimony right to yeah. get that healing testimony and yeah on one hand you sort of you, you, i'm trying to put this in a way that makes sense but i think on one hand you're definitely keen for that person to be healed there's no question of that you want to see yeah. this person get well there is a genuine compassion there on the other hand you're sort of in the back of your mind thinking if this actually happens, then I've got an amazing testimony that's going to encourage other Christians and it might make people think differently of me. And there's a selfish element to it, right? Yeah. That you have to admit is there as a sinful human being. And thirdly, you say, if this person does get healed, then I will preach the gospel to them. Then I'll yeah. tell them, you know, you really ought to come to Christ you really ought to believe in Jesus you know you've just been healed how could you deny that God loves you and he's here and he wants to know you and that would be my gospel and yeah you know I still believe God heals people I still you know believe we should be praying for the sick but I don't believe that's the gospel and I don't believe that you need to see someone get healed in order to preach the gospel to them no yes sometimes for, for people it can be a moment when they realize wow god is real there's no two ways about that but equally i've seen somebody get healed and then outright reject me when i've tried to tell them about jesus yeah that's <laughs> happened to me mate they just got healed in jesus name they actually weren't interested and so it's not always a fail-safe way to preach the gospel it's not always a surefire springboard and so yeah i think a lot of people it's just all they've known that kind of therapeutic moralistic deism that they don't know that there's another gospel um yeah like i think we've just come so far from what the protestant reformers started out with as a church that we've almost forgotten and because we're not by and large confessional and what i mean by that is not that we go to a priest in a box yeah. i mean that because we don't actually you know not just i mean c of e do it but because we're not genuinely believing in the great christian confessions of faith the creeds no. and confessions we don't really understand what the gospel is because we've forgotten the doctrines that underpinned the gospel yeah. you know like David Wells says 
the, the, the apostles not only framed Christian faith in doctrinal terms, but also called for its preservation and protection in this form. There is no Christian faith in the absence of sound doctrine. It is doctrine, or more precisely, the truth it contains and expresses that was taught by the apostles and delivered to the church. It is this message that is our only ground for hope and salvation. Without it, we neither have the Father nor the Son. And so Christianity, although it's not just bare facts and truth, without those bare facts and truths, we don't have a Christian faith. We certainly don't have a gospel that saves and so even though you might say well of course the gospel's being preached because we're seeing hands go up we're seeing people pray prayers we're seeing people get baptized that's wonderful but it doesn't necessarily mean that that person's been saved right because was there repentance from sin was there returning to the true jesus right so we can go through the motions i think sometimes of doing all these things but if we haven't actually told people about the real god who does exist if we haven't actually preached to people about their own need of righteousness their lack of it their their need to be made right with god then we're not preaching a true gospel um, no. th- that person isn't brought to repentance and isn't brought to a true faith they've believed god to give them healing or a better life make them a better person make them more influential they've believed god to give them prosperity right but have they believed on christ to save them from the wrath of god on judgment day oh that's a horrific thing to say graham how dare yeah, you yeah you know, little poor Ginny can't deal with those truths you know that will come later will it will it i'm not sure it will for me i look at the apostle paul who writes the letter of Romans to a church. We've got to remember this. He wasn't writing it to some professor on, no. in a theology school. A bunch of people. <laughs> he wrote this to Christians in Rome, right? And it's some of the highest theology you can find in the Bible. And as he's exegeting the gospel, where does he begin in, in chapter one and two? With God's absolute hatred of sin and wrath against sin and the rank sinfulness of mankind, he begins with God's righteous judgment against sin. That's where he begins when he begins to exegete the gospel. And so few Christians go there now. Like he spends a whole two chapters talking about the sinfulness, the abject sinfulness of man, you know, more than that. If, if you will, he goes right into it's kind of like one three. to one to four, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so it's a, you know, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are, are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes now how many preachers stand up and say that to their congregations on a sunday how many preachers in the street will say that you know but this is what the bible says is the witness of god concerning mankind and paul rightly links this in to the gospel message you know uh, before you've got to have judgment in there you've got to if you don't have judgment in there then it's just like well it's not a gospel message it's just god is a you know cuddly daddy in the sky or something yeah there's no sort of the whole thing it it makes no sense if you don't have the holiness of god and judgment in your message it's in there and even i mean you know you look at a completely different gospel presentation to that you could go to maybe like 
Paul in in Athens in, in the Areopagus right and that's a that's a different style of gospel preaching so I do think yeah. we've got room to to switch up the language dependent on the people that we're preaching to right to use things that would be familiar in their cultural setting which is you'll still say though god calls people everywhere to repent doesn't he yeah and he talks about and, he set a day by which he yeah. will judge so those themes are still in there he doesn't drop the themes right he preaches the same doctrines but he brings in greek poetry this yeah in there right so he's using references that would be understood within that culture which is something we absolutely must do but we don't get to shed the doctrines of the gospel we don't get to not talk about sin we don't get to not talk about god judging sinful mankind and actually being judged righteous in it right yeah god doesn't lose when he judges people on that day as being sinners and sends them to hell right and people people get angry about that but actually when god when god judges sinners and the devil and the antichrist and casts them into the lake of fire revelation tells us that the saints will sing praise to him for that yeah they won't say oh what a terrible shame oh god we're sorry let's comfort you they sing praise and so <laughs> I think we've got to understand these uncomfortable truths are there in the gospel. We've got to be able to preach a full picture of the holiness and the sovereignty, the majesty, the glory of God, that in love he sent Jesus, right? To yeah. save who? To save his people from their sins, right? As the savior of the world, Christ came in and he is the only way by which we know the full love of God through faith and trust in him and by and through that faith that is a gift of god we're reconciled to him um you know that's that's the gospel there Uh, you know we could talk more about what else comes from that we can talk about not only um not only justification we could talk about the things that attach to that adoption you know we could talk about um reconciliation we can talk about these things but unless we begin with god and unless we begin with the condition of man um we're going to be struggling you know um and i just think so many in this day and age in trying to kind of contextualize like paul does in the areopagus in trying to be relevant we've actually gone wait a minute um the world out there doesn't very it didn't take very kindly um to the to god's actual kind of truth about them um and so let's just kind of tone down a little bit um, yeah. on those doctrines you know we might win a few more people uh we might be seen in a better light by culture and so we've ended up i think because of that um dropping or or at least maybe not dropping but dumbing down some of those gospel truths in order to try and win more converts essentially so well it's the kind of it's the seeker sensitive attractional church kind of model isn't it it's the you know we we want to get lots of people again it's well we we've already discussed this in our pragmatism podcast but it's that whole idea of if you can not offend people or put people off they might come back the following week and and this is where it's so really you know kind of it's it's very very subtle yeah um but the problem is 
if people are reading, I would say if you read John chapter six, yeah, and just look at how Jesus deals with those crowds, yeah, you'll actually see that the way that a lot of our modern churches deal with crowds is completely the wrong way around. Jesus basically tells them straight up truth and thousands of them turn on their heel and walk away and he's left with the 12 disciples one of whom is an apostate and you know well, Judas is going to betray him later on isn't he so Judas is going to betray him you've got 11 of them there Jesus turns around to the 11 and says do you want to go as well yeah <laughs> do you, I mean do you, I just stand here on my own yeah and, and, and what does Peter say to him Lord to whom else can we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed that you're the holy one of God and it was Peter of all of them who yeah. would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel in Jerusalem and around 3,000 people would be saved. Yeah. And it's that whole thing of let's do it God's way rather than man's way. Yeah. You know, Jesus didn't try to just win them over. He, he just told them straight truth. And so what we, what we tend to do is we think that if we can just keep people happy and we don't offend people and don't make them uncomfortable, then they might come back and at some point they might become a Christian. But by doing that, you've basically, I suppose you've just rejected the whole idea of election. Yeah. That as Jesus, going back to John 6 and John 6, verse 37, when Jesus says, all the Father have given to me, I will not cast them away. Yeah. So really, you're meant to preach the gospel clearly with grace, but preach it properly. And God will do the rest in the hearts of those who are in the congregation. But if you try to just make it palatable in the hope that people will come back, what you what you win them with, you win them too. So now you've won them to a really soft message. You've got church attendees. You haven't got Christians because no one's actually got saved because the Holy Spirit hasn't actually moved in their hearts. Yeah. So what you've got is you've actually got an auditorium full of a lot of goats. <laughs> and goats make a lot of mess. And that's the problem. Well, yeah. Because... And then you went, oh, why have we got so many discipleship issues? Why, why are we having to run around sorting out yeah. all of these problems of all we these people? We need another why? course. We need another course. Yeah, let's run another um, course. <laughs> we need more pastors who will go and help with goat mess. And, you know, it's not to trivialise it, but I do think no. because you dumb down the gospel message, because you make it a message that's essentially appealing to an unregenerate person it's a, it's a message of hey look um there's all this great stuff you can get if you just say this prayer um yeah you know the, skip the, the stuff about actually repenting of sin skip the stuff about you know the holy spirit coming in and convicting and um skip the stuff about god being god um make him into a genie who if you rub him in the right way he'll give you all that you want well that's a recipe for winning people who are unconverted to your church. You're not winning yeah. them to God. You're winning them to your church. And they'll come along so long as they're getting what they want, you know, so long as they're feeling served, feeling encouraged each week. And, and um, you know, and I think, again, you know, this sort of focus, uh, self-centered focus, the kind of like attractional model, um, it does land you with a ton of pastoral problems because... You know, a lot of people are not truly converted. No, they're, they're not. They're coming I, because it's a lovely place to be. Um, it's great. It's got great community. It's, you know, um, makes me feel good. But actually, they're not 
really truly converted. I think Charles Spurgeon said this, and I, you know, he said, "I do not believe we can preach the gospel if we do not preach justification by faith without works, nor unless we preach the sovereignty of God in the dispensation of grace, nor unless we exalt electing, unchangeable, eternal, immutable, conquering love of Jehovah, nor do I think we preach the gospel unless we base it upon the particular redemption which Christ made for His elect and chosen people. Nor can I comprehend a gospel which lets saints fall away after their." Now, you know, what what Spurgeon's not saying is that in order to preach a gospel, all those things must be present. But what he is saying is that a gospel-centered ministry will include those truths um, yeah. and will be based upon that, the revelation of God uh, in the scriptures. And because I think we've made a decision to kind of move really away from revelation of God and more towards a kind of a, 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 a method that... I think attracts people um we've landed ourselves in trouble in that respect because you can't then begin to preach these things to people who are not truly converted um no no that's so true so you're basically stuck you're not even in some ways you're not even on milk because you're not you're sort of you're kind of in this weird place where from time to time you you're, you're you might the gospel might get a mention but this this kind of message church is in this kind of predicament really of, yeah. of having a, a large number this is where really large churches if they're not really converted have got a huge problem now because you end up with as you've already mentioned with that Spurgeon quote you've kind of got like a if you would call it gospel light yes. in some ways yeah. it's not really the gospel because it's that the key doctrines of of justification and sanctification are not in there you know we're not, not talking about you know the, the atonement and imputed righteousness and those sorts of no. really key doctrines so that's not getting taught um, we're not talking about the sovereignty of god in salvation or any of those sorts of things i can remember a time in church where people used to kind of debate arminianism and calvinism you know like yeah. like, like predestination i mean that that those days are long gone and yeah. i can remember being a young christian actually having them debates with other christians in the church at least we were sort of we were wrestling with with doctrine but back nowadays people aren't and what you end up with is with this gospel like message where you leave out the doctrines and you 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 know you kind of don't really teach people what ends up happening and it's so subtle that you can hardly notice it but after a while you start to really see it particularly on the outside is that that church will go quiet on yeah. on the challenging cultural attacks they will yeah. go quiet on on the real issues of the day it's too so true it's too it's it's just way too controversial to let to talk about um same-sex marriage for example yeah you know we're not it's too controversial to talk about abortion we're gonna say oh we're gonna we're gonna say it's all very nuanced um, <laughs> um. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, transgenderism can't really go there. I mean, it's just because the problem is because uh, this is one of the key things, uh, and this is this. I mean, seriously, this is a big deal, right? I know now. Like speaking to um, some young adults, you know, I was one once, like you know, like you, we were, <laughs> we were in our twenties and all the rest of it. Yeah. But you know, nowadays within the young adults, things like the you know the kind of more woke thing is is accepted. Yeah. So if you're if you're in the, in a leader of a large church, we've got loads of young adults. You're naturally going to be under the pressure to think, well, we don't want to lose all our young adults if we actually actually call out these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. And and there is a, there is a, a risk. You but you, this is the thing. If you've taken that kind of attractional approach, then you're just going to think, well, it's no, there's no harm in not actually saying things. But this is the thing. I find it's often what they don't say. 
yeah is the problem it's yeah. actually often what they don't say if you listen to what they're saying this is the thing i've noticed a lot is particularly in the larger attractional churches what they're saying isn't actually wrong yeah and it kind of works up to a point but they don't you mean. give you the whole counsel of god yeah it's yeah. not the whole counsel of god and you're sitting there thinking well you know this is this is you know this is right this is true but somehow it doesn't go far enough yeah and somehow it doesn't actually call people out on their sin it doesn't call people out on and bring and that's where true ministry uh, and to and true encounter with god happens where there's a conviction of sin and there's a a, a meeting with god and I think that is one of the one of the key problems we see now in the, in the modern church is it's come down to if you're a leader of a church, whether it's your own ego, and we've all got our own egos to have to battle with, of course, whether there's the pressure, financial pressures or whether there's the, you know, all the other things you're having to hold together and and the, the real temptation, of course, to compromise. You just go quiet on things that you really should be, be speaking out on. Yeah, absolutely. Because your your focus is obviously, as you said, it, it, it's on. It, it's not on the council of God, but it's on people, and um, you know the 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 worry of people leaving or being offended by the gospel. Sometimes people need to be offended by the gospel. Yeah, um, they need to be offended by these truths. I remember I was saying to you in a conversation earlier. I remember somebody getting very upset with me because I'd spoken out on abortion in a church meeting and had said this is a travesty you know we're aborting in this country year on year more and more babies over 200,000 babies every year and you know I've had to read a lot of the morbid statistics to understand the subject better and it's awful you know we're talking about it is no word of a lie please you don't believe me read the government statistics we're talking about eye watering isn't it 98.5 to 99 percent of all those abortions taking place are not because the baby had a defect they're not no. because the woman was going to die if she didn't have an abortion in fact those two reasons for abortion account for a tiny infinitesimally small amount of abortions each year 98.5 to 99 percent of all abortions in this country um happen because there is a perceived risk to the mental health of the mother should she continue the pregnancy to full term. And so in that ground, I think it's ground C, might be wrong, but yeah. ground C for abortion, you you could say, well, I feel it would make me anxious or I feel I uh, might not have enough finance to support this child i'm not sure if it'd be good for my well-being to have this child so would you like to kill the child yes i'd like to kill the child that's what's happening right yeah if we speak in really crude terms that's what's actually happening and i said talked about this and obviously people some people were upset and i had (laughs) had people come to me and say this is awful how dare you this is very judgmental what do you think a woman who's had an abortion hearing that would think and i said well actually a number of women in the congregation who've had abortions came to me and said thank you for speaking about that it's brought me to a place where i can speak to god about this and i've gone to god on this and got peace with him on it i've asked for forgiveness on it and now one of those ladies is actually working to help 
other women who've had abortions and support other women who've had abortions never maybe would have done it had she not heard about it and so there's this understanding I think which is false that if we confront people with their sinfulness that somehow that's a bad thing um, when actually yeah. it's the thing that actually brings us into a place of reliance upon God and salvation and so we must do these things if we're to preach the gospel I think one thing sticks out to me is Ezekiel 3 um, from verse 16 uh, at the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me son of man I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and i lay a stumbling block before him he shall die because you've not warned him he shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he's done shall not be remembered but his blood i will require at your hand but if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does sin he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul so there's this picture again that i think relates to the preaching of the gospel is that we must confront people with the gospel, which contains a proclamation of God's absolute sovereignty and his right to judge the world and indeed that person too in holiness. Secondly, we have to talk about sin and their need of salvation and and their need to have their sins dealt with. And we warn, the the gospel is a proclamation of warning, right? Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We, totally. we can't expect for it to be something that people are going to kind of be like head over heels like Woo, oh, it makes me feel so good at first it will make them feel bad <laughs> but yeah. the ending is good um, so yeah I think that the, the focus has to shift back for us from what does man want to what does God want and um, to stop overly focusing on what we think man needs and look to what the bible says as to what man needs i think also within that there's the a really important point that when we focus on what god wants when we're prayerful and we're faithful to the bibles and 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 we're focusing on what the bible teaches and what god wants to say yeah what we find is that we're less likely to to jump on the political bandwagon yes definitely yeah because this has been another problem that we've seen a lot of recently in the last couple of years like this is a time right now i believe where we need as you as you mentioned from ezekiel and that was a verse funnily enough during the pandemic that i just felt god really speak to me and a few of my friends who prayed together a lot we really felt that that call to be watchmen in in this time was so key because there just seems to be a real lack of any prophetic voice in the church mm-hmm. right now, particularly in the mainstream church. It's very much in this almost underground kind of prophetic community, people who who, who, are, who are just praying together and trying to get a sense of what's happening in the world right now. Like, 
you know, and we've already done our podcast last time of the end times and those sorts of things. Yeah. But there is that that need to actually warn people what what's going on in the world right now and what's God saying about it and how should we respond to it, rather than reactively kind of just trying to jump on the political bandwagon and and respond in the way that is seen to be fashionable or or yeah. the narrative that the the news and the media are putting out. The church isn't supposed to just piggyback. The, you know the, the common narrative it's supposed no. to actually actually come alongside with the gospel with a prophetic biblical message and you know particularly if, if if you've been watching as we have keith malcolmson is a, a great preacher of mm. showing how to preach prophetically from scripture we need more people like this as well people who can preach from the bible and say look i really believe this is what God is saying right now in speaking prophetically into the times that we find ourselves live, living in. And this is why I think we've got so few preachers who are actually equipped to do this is because all of the things that we've we've said in this podcast about, you know, just really being seeker sensitive, not really te- preaching the gospel, not being faithful to the Bible in our, in our ministry. So when we end up in a crisis point like we're in, and we are in a crisis, yeah. no doubt about it, there is absolutely no prophetic message coming out of, uh, from what I can tell, coming out of many of the mainstream churches today. No, no, I don't think, I, I don't think there is. I think we've, we sort of, there is a hunger, I think, that God is putting on the church for prophecy. And you can yeah. see people stirring and wanting to, to hunger after this more and more. Um, and I think a true prophetic voice would see us speaking to culture yeah, and speaking to the powers that be in that place and leaders in positions of authority um, and calling them to account on those things, calling them to God, calling them... Um, according to his word you know um calling things out as 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 they are to god and i think there is a hunger for it i really do and i hope and pray that that continues and that we do step out into this more and more um because yeah like you said i think there's two ways we can approach it either we can just sort of flow with the stream so to speak and just kind of go with whatever yeah political narrative the world is is kind of like putting to us now or we can do the other thing which is to just kind of ignore the world and ignore culture like it's not even there and just keep going with we're just going to preach verse by verse we're not going to talk about any of that stuff and actually yeah. i don't think that's right no. either because we are living in these times and we are supposed to be salt and light in this world and just as christ has loved us you know and he's condescended to us and been kind to us in the gospel surely we too are supposed to relate to the world that we live in and 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 have some kind of conversation with the world that we live in uh, prophetically you know um so i think there's got to be something in there i think for us to kind of get hungry about really just that desire to yeah preach the gospel to the world but equally to be ready to hear what the holy spirit's really saying about what's going on right now and the situation at hand yeah, yeah i think there has to be a hunger for that that's very true and i think as we as we start coming towards a, a close in our podcast um i just wanted to kind of land it i think with we're thinking about um as we are started by asking the question does your church preach the gospel i think we would want to ask uh you know 
how do you feel about that listening to this podcast does your church preach the gospel and i wonder graham what do you what do you think some of the warning signs to, to look out for uh, for someone you know who's listening to this thinking actually I, I i'm not sure if my church really is faithfully preaching the gospel what kind of warning signs might you uh, bring to their mind attention yeah i think i would i would i would raise the alarm if 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 basically if there is not a a desire or not a pattern in your church of preaching the doctrine of god right if you if you're not going into your church on a weekly basis and hearing about god then i would doubt very much where you're whether you're hearing a true fulsome gospel presentation if if the preaching every week is about you how yeah. you can be a more fiery believer how you can walk in supernatural ways of royalty how you can <laughs> i'm using some yeah. crazy charismatic flim flam now but you know how you could flim do fl- i love it. charismatic like, flim flam <laughs> listen there's a place for application right there's a place for those things but if that's all you ever hear about you never yeah. hear doctrine you never hear your pastor pin his colors to the mast and say this is who god is right then i would say probably that's a red flag um, yeah, yeah, definitely. That would be that would be one for me. How about you? I think, to be honest, quite simply, I would say, as I mentioned at the beginning, if you know you're going to church for a few weeks and you know you're not, you know, question, would you hear the gospel? I would say honestly, if you've been going to a church for, I would say six months. I'd say maybe some people might say, oh, be reasonable, say a year. But I would say if you've been going to a church for six months regularly and you don't hear any mention of judgment, the holiness of God, the reality of hell, the need for repentance and faith and and a a clear message of calling the church to God and to Christ. And I would say find another church. Yeah. You've given them six months. They have not actually preached the whole counsel of God. And that is what I put it down to. In six months of having gone to that church, are they preaching the whole counsel of God? And if they're not, find another church. Amen. The biggies really would be, has the word sin dropped out of the vocabulary? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm talking about not mentioned once a year right yeah that's not good enough the bible absolutely the new testament deals with sin on a regular basis so if sin has dropped out the vocab you've been there six months that would be a big sign that this church is not truly preaching the gospel like you say gareth has god's righteous judgment against sin dropped out of the vocab then they're not preaching the gospel the the new testament talks continuously about the return of christ yeah the parousia christ is going to return in judgment and he's going to judge the world and if that's never spoken about then how possibly are we preaching a fulsome gospel if we're not talking about the return and the judgment and the fact that there's a lot that rests on this you know if if hell is never mentioned if heaven is never mentioned these things as well would be red flags if for me if you have been in a church as a christian for 10 years and you don't understand what justification is please find another church (laughs) yeah please find another church before it's too late yeah if if that (laughs) word to you is still a kind of like no i think i know no no you need to find another church that church is not truly preaching the gospel um you know (laughs) i think an understanding of how one is justified 
right? It's it's by grace through faith, right? Yeah. So if one doesn't understand how one is justified and you've been in a church years, then that's a sign that church is not preaching the gospel. Yeah. Um, so those things for me would be pretty, pretty nailed on kind of certainties that the church is not preaching the gospel. Uh, an overemphasis on you, a complete lack of doctrine of God, um, a, a, a sort of like dumbing down or rare mentions of sin, um, rare mentions of God's judgment against sin, no mentions of hell, these sorts of things. Those would be signs that what you're dealing with is really a gospel light. Um, yeah. And it's not to say that no one in those churches is is saved because absolutely God brings people to himself through all sorts of churches. Um, but it would be to say that, you know, that would be a pretty sure sign that the gospel ain't getting preached. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> certainly yeah, absolutely. on a regular basis in that church. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. So there you go. It's been... Um, it's been a really interesting conversation and a sobering one but like we talked about at the beginning it's a necessary conversation and um i think that unless we see this situation being dealt with in the next 10 years in this nation we're going to see a real slide off a cliff edge oh scary in, in the yeah. established church it is scary and it's happening already it's already yeah. happening and it is i think a similar to the the downgrade um the downgrade situation sorry with with Spurgeon um back in the 1800s you know where yeah okay we might not have seen a full-scale falling away and apostasy in the church but this is how it begins this yeah, is how it, is. it begins with with a denial of certain tenets of the gospel with a, a you know an unwillingness for pastors to teach on substitutionary atonement Pe you know penal substitutionary atonement is central yeah, to a gospel proclamation you can't the preach the gospel, gospel without no. preaching penal substitutionary atonement and that will make a lot of people froth at the mouth these days and that oh, should yeah. tell you all you need to know right that has yeah. been the root of gospel preaching in the church for centuries right don't tell me the church fathers never preached that i can show you that they did yeah. and i can show you that it was central to the reformers it was central to the puritans it was central to the foundation of the protestant faith and so the the fact that we've got anger against that that, that doctrine these days again is a very very worrying sign um it's not to say that there aren't other ways we can preach the atonement but if we're not preaching penal substitutionary atonement we're not preaching the gospel that's no, my honest not view. at all so Absolutely yeah right. we, we think this is a key issue and we hope you've been encouraged by this we hope that you will evaluate um what you're listening to and where you're plugging in based on this you know do think carefully about these things this is important for this day and age um we also hope you know if you're a minister listening in um and you've got things to feedback we we'll always love to hear from you and um, oh yeah you know we're always looking to learn as well um so happy to listen to your feedback or, or any questions or concerns you might have um but equally we hope you're encouraged to preach the gospel no matter what kind of a response you might get from the pews um it, we must as the book of ezekiel says preach because eternal life and eternal death are at stake these are very important things and these are very worrying and trying times so brothers and sisters 
let's pre- let's preach the gospel. <laughs> Amen. Let's, Definitely. Let's preach the gospel and let's do it the way that God intended for us to do it. We hope it's been encouraging for you. Um, we'll be back again soon with another episode. But um, until then, we hope you've enjoyed it. Please do leave us a review if you've enjoyed this. Uh, it always helps get the message out to more people. If you've hated it, please don't leave a review, but feel free to email us and get angry. That's fine. And uh, <laughs> until next time, just say God bless you all. And it's a joy to have been with you. Take care. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye.